Uh, good morning, Venture. There's nothing like a little potty humor on Sunday morning just to get things going, right? Welcome to this installment of Jerks of the Bible. I want to tell you a story as we dive in. A couple years ago, I saw a video. You might have seen it as well. This video went viral. Awful, awful, awful images. Actually, I think just uh, not long ago, a few weeks ago, uh, the gentleman, and I'm using that term loosely, Brandon Elliott uh, was sentenced for what he was, uh, was shown in that video of brutally beating an elderly woman, 65-year-old gal named Vilma Carey. Brutal. I mean, the images were hard to watch. Have you ever been to Times Square downtown New York City, busy 24-7. This happened just off of Times Square. Busy space, lots of people. The images, she looked like a rag doll being just thrown around, beat up brutally. He was stomping on her head and, and shouting racial slurs that I can't repeat. Awful. Awful to watch, but maybe equally as awful, wasn't just in the foreground, but in the background, you noticed that there were a series of people who were also there doing nothing. At least three distinct individuals in that video were watching. One of them, actually, we thought he was walking up to help her, to save her, to step into the moment, but instead he kind of closed the door and kept moving. What? This story gets told often, actually, so much so, I mean, I'm asking the question as I'm watching, how can anyone stand by during an assault like that and do nothing to help? Turns out it happens sometimes. So much so that during the 60s, a group of psychologists did a study. They commissioned this study, and they discovered that only 62% of participants are shown to intervene in an emergency when they are part of a larger group. It even has a term coined, the bystander effect. Bystanders, watching it happen, even allowing it to happen when they're a part of a larger group. We're talking about jerks of the Bible today. Uh, you know, in a couple weeks, we're going to kick off a new sermon series, kind of the back-to-school time. We want to get real practical with this idea of jerks. We're going to look at the jerks of Jesus' day. They were known as the Pharisees. The title of that series, I'm calling it Recovering Pharisees Like Me. I do wrestle with this. I grew up with a very strict rules of right and wrong, and, and I, every once in a while, I have kind of a knee-jerk reaction. The inner Pharisee inside me will come out. We're going to wrestle through that together through the month of August. But each week through the summer, we've been looking at these jerks of the Bible. Some of them have been very willful jerks. Perhaps you remember when we kicked this off, Jezebel, oh my goodness, there was a lot of willful jerkiness in her actions. Last week, uh, we, well, Back up a few weeks, uh, Judas Iscariot, that was a willful jerk, right? Last week, Daniel, I was so appreciative of Daniel and his message on Jonah. Jonah, in my opinion, wasn't so much willful. I mean, he made some willful decisions along the way, but in a lot of ways, he was kind of a passive jerk. It kind of happened to him. God said, go this way, and he went the other way, but he just, it just kind of happened along the way for him. Today, I believe Pontius Pilate, 
to be a passive jerk. That doesn't let him off of the hook. Actually, in some ways, it's even worse. He was the villain. In Jesus' story, he was a jerk in a big way, so much so that he made it into the early creeds of the church. I'm curious, how many of you grew up in a church where you recited the Apostles' Creed? Does anybody know this one? Yeah. I didn't. I didn't grow up in a church that recited that, but I grew up uh, loving Rich Mullins' music. Perhaps you recognize that name in the late 80s, early 90s. I loved his music. He had a song. He put the Apostles' Creed to music, and it goes like this. I believe in God, the Father, Almighty, maker of heaven and maker of earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. And here's the phrase, suffered under Pontius Pilate. So even in the early creeds of our movement, our credo statements, this is what we believe, Pontius Pilate makes his way into that story. There are 54 verses about Pontius Pilate or that specifically mention his name in your Bible. Four of those are found outside of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Four of them you can find in the rest of the New Testament. For example, there's this moment when Paul is speaking to his protege. He's looking at young Timothy, and he's saying, this is exactly the kind of life that I'm calling you to. The hero in that story is Jesus, the villain. Look at this. We see Pontius Pilate show up. 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse 13. I command you before God, who gives life to all things, and before Christ Jesus, who before Pontius Pilate testified the good confession. We're going to do a series later this fall where we look at that text in depth. I'm so looking forward to that. He shows up as the villain there. How about in the book of Acts? There are three distinct verses where Pontius Pilate shows up there. Early on, Peter is preaching before the Sanhedrin, I believe, in this moment. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. He's the hero of the story, whom you delivered up and denied in the presence of Pilate. They were also villains. He's speaking to this group of leaders. You were passive. Ah, some of you were active. You were using Pilate toward your evil ends to get Jesus crucified when he had determined to release him. Oh, we get a little bit of an idea there. Some of the passiveness, the passive ways that Pilate is leading. Let's keep looking. The next chapter, Acts chapter 4. Peter still preaching. This time he's preaching to a group of onlookers. He says, For truly in this city against your holy servant, Jesus, he's talking about Jerusalem, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, with the Gentiles and the people of Israel were gathered together. Skip ahead just a little bit. Paul is preaching later in Acts chapter 13. Though they found no cause for death, they still asked Pilate, to have him killed. So Pilate, we learn, is complicit in the death of Jesus. Yeah, he's a jerk. I bet you've heard this quote before. Usually we credit Edmund Burke with this quote. History has said he probably didn't say this. It's still a great soundbite. The only thing necessary for the triumph of evil is for good men to do Nothing. There's a reason why that makes its way around social media. Why that phrase even would have some life today. It's an old phrase, hundreds of years old. Why? 
Because this is rooted down inside of us, that bystander effect to stand by and allow something to happen to not step in, to be passive, to not intervene in a moment of crisis. Well, it turns out this is pretty deep inside of all of us. Actually, you could go all the way back to the beginning of the story. You could go back to Genesis chapter 3, and you could see that this is found even in our early story. We were passive. There's this passage where God had given man only one no in a world full of yes. He said, you can do anything you want, just don't eat from that particular tree. But Satan tried to convince Adam and Eve to believe the lie that this one no must mean that God didn't have their best in mind. He was holding out on them. Here's how that climactic moment plays out. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Here's the question for us men. Where was Adam in this critical moment? Where was Adam when his wife was being tempted by Satan? You might want to believe that he wasn't around when it happened, or maybe he was out hunting for food or maybe building something. We like to go out and kill it and drag it home. It's wired in us as men. But unfortunately, the Bible makes it clear that he was right there with her, silent. He passively stood there while his wife was under attack from Satan. In a moment when he could have spoken up and he could have stepped into the situation, he could have acted courageously to protect his wife, he just stood there. Passively, Men have been living in Adam's shadow ever since. Rather than being strong dads, oftentimes men, sometimes we just stand there. Rather than being loving husbands, sometimes men, we just stand there. Why is it that so many men are so decisive, focused, and effective in areas of life that don't really matter, but tentative, maybe uninspiring and passive in some of the areas that matter the most? It's as if passivity is in our DNA, and that if we don't actively fight it, well, we end up defaulting to being passive. Not just men, women as well. When does passivity reign in your life? Is it at home? Is it with your finances? Is it in your career? Is it with your significant other? Where are you doing nothing when you should be doing something? Where are you being silent when you should be speaking out? Here's the whole point today. Don't be a jerk. Reject passivity. Reject it in all of its various forms. Refuse to live in the shadow of Adam and instead choose to fight for what truly matters most. Let's build our why he is a jerk case, if you'll allow us, against Pilate. Let's look at this. He found Jesus to be not guilty of the crimes he was accused of, but he still had him executed. Why? in order to keep the peace. That's passive. That's a problem. Here's Pilate's jerkiness in a nutshell. Because he followed and ignored, he was deaf and blind. He lost touch before finally hitting the wall. This is our outline today. 
I'll say it again, because he followed and ignored. He was deaf and blind. He lost touch before finally hitting the wall. That's what we're going to track through. Let me tell you just real quick about Pontius Pilate. He was the fifth Roman governor of Judea. And it was during his time frame, we've already talked about this, Jesus died, buried, rose from the grave. Pretty significant moment in human history. If we want to make sure that this story is real, we could even turn to archaeology and see that Pontius Pilate, well, he did what he did, what the Bible says he did. Actually, they were digging around in Palestine in Caesarea Maritima in the 1960s, and they uncovered this stone that was inscribed on, it mentions Pontius Pilate, prefect of Judea. He did what the Bible says he did. A real historical figure. He was a jerk. He was passive. Passive because he followed and he ignored. He was deaf and blind. He lost touch before finally hitting the wall. Let's talk through that, shall we? First of all, what did he follow? He followed the crowd. In a moment when he could have led, he got like a lemming in line and just simply followed the crowd. Let's read the text together, shall we? Where he gives in to the whims of an angry mob. I'm in Luke chapter 23, if you want to join me there. Luke 23, verse 18. But the whole crowd shouted, away with this man, Jesus. Release Barabbas to us. Now, parenthetically, Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. He was a bad dude. He was like the guy in the video that I talked about earlier. He should have been convicted for his crimes. He was guilty. Wanting to release Jesus, we get kind of an early look here that Pilate, he already, he's looking sideways at this like, this isn't right. Pilate appealed to them again. This is the Roman governor. This is the prefect. He's appealing to an angry mob, trying to reason with them. His word was law, but he's appealing with the crowd. Interesting, they keep shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time, he spoke to them, why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, he stiffens his spine. He says, well, I will have him punished, and then I'm going to release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. Do you feel yourself just frustrated with Pilate's inaction here or what becomes action? So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered, surrendered Jesus to their will. He followed. Who did he follow? A mob. Now, before we get to throwing stones at Pontius Pilate, when, when have you done this? I know when I've done this. I still feel angst today over moments when I was in high school when I could have stood up for the underdog. I could have stood up for the kid that was getting picked on, and rather than doing that, I just kind of went along with my buddies. I was there, passive. I still feel some guilt over some of those moments. Now, before I make it all about the past, 
You know, our culture is wrestling with this right now. We've got all kinds of groupthink that goes on. It's in our politics. It's in our, our, our social structures even. You heard of the Twitter mob? Oh, my goodness. Crowdsourcing indignation, crowdsourcing all kinds of frustration. And if we're not careful, if we don't make our Bibles the truth source, we can get swept up in that as well. Who has a louder voice in your life? The mob? The crowd? Or is the voice of Jesus gently whispering in your mind, follow me? Pilate was passive. What do we say? He was jerky because he followed and ignored. He was deaf and he was blind. He lost touch before finally hitting the wall. He followed the crowd. What did he ignore? Well, he ignored his convictions. He had some. They leak through the text to us. He has them, but he ignores them. Luke chapter 23, verse 20. Let's look at this. Wanting to release Jesus. We see his conviction right there. I want to let this guy go. I know he didn't do anything. That's conviction. Pilate appealed to the crowd. Again, he's following the crowd instead of following his own convictions. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, why, what crime has this man committed? I find In him, no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished, and then I will release him. His jerkiness, he ignored his own convictions. Do you feel these moments sometimes? You know just what you know, what you know, that God has planted deep inside your heart. You are convicted on this. No, this is wrong. This is sin. This is a moral issue. I'm convicted But again, if you let that crowd voice be louder than the still, small voice of Jesus, you can find yourself passive, like Pilate, following when you should be leading, ignoring when you should be taking heed and listening loudly to the voice that Jesus is talking to you. Because he followed and ignored, he was deaf and blind, he lost touch before finally hitting the wall Let's look at his deafness, shall we? He turned a deaf ear to wisdom. Now, his wisdom came from a very unlikely place. It came from his wife. That was meant to be a joke. Nobody laughed. His wife said, don't don't step into this mess. Actually, I've been tormented in my dreams about this. Let's look at this passage. Matthew chapter 27, verse 19. While Pilate was sitting on the judge's seat, his wife sent him this message. And I'm just guessing. It was not a regular habit of hers to step into that official moment of leadership, to bother him while he's at work with a text message, or to bother him about bringing groceries home on his way. No, no, she's reaching out because this is really important. Don't have anything to do with that innocent man, for I've suffered a great deal today in a dream because of him. This won't go well for you. And because I love you, I'm going to speak some wisdom into your life. His wife gave wise counsel, and he ignored it. Every wife just leaned forward a little bit. I saw that. Did you feel that move in the room? I saw some elbows jabbing in right there in that moment. He gave a deaf ear to wisdom. 
We should listen. Listen, when Dawn looks at me and says, I, I think you need to hear this. She sent me one of those, actually, as a text message last week. I was kind of being a jerk, and she sent me a text message and said, you, you look angry right now. Oh, my goodness, I am. I'm displaying something. I'm wrestling something inside my heart right now, and I don't want the folks at the table here with us to feel this either. Listen to wisdom. He turned a deaf ear to wisdom. How about this? Because he followed and ignored, he was deaf and blind. He lost touch before finally hitting the wall. What was he blind to? He was blind to reality. I mean like the real reality. He has the creator God of the universe. If you go all the way back to the beginning, Jesus is with God when the world is spoken into existence. He's got God in the flesh right in front of him, and he is blind to the truth. And he condemns Jesus to be crucified. Matthew chapter 27, verse 25 all the people answered, his blood is on us and on our children. Hold on to that thought. Then he, Pilate, released Barabbas to them, but he had Jesus flogged and handed him over to be crucified. The creator, God of the universe. Now listen, there is a larger story that's happening here. Jesus is in process of redeeming the world, us included. But Pilate, his passivity, he's got God in front of him, and he misses it because he followed and because he ignored. Because he was deaf and blind, he lost touch before finally hitting the wall. Well, we saw it already in the video where he lost touch. He did. He literally washed his hands tried to convince himself and others then, unsuccessfully, I might add, that he was not responsible for the unjust execution that was about to take place. Let's read that text, Matthew chapter 27. What shall I do then with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? That's a pretty good question to ask, by the way. You and I should ask that question. What should I do with Jesus, who is called the Messiah? What kind of influence am I going to allow him to have in my life? They all answered, crucify him. Why? What crime has he committed, asked Pilate. But they shouted all the louder, crucify him. And what does he do? When Pilate saw that he was getting nowhere, but then instead an uproar was starting, he took water, he made a big show out of this, and washed his hands in front of the crowd, almost as if it's symbolic. Listen, I'm innocent of this man's blood. It's your responsibility. And it's at that point they say, listen, let his blood be on our hands. It'll be our responsibility. Now listen, Pontius Pilate was the Roman governor. Through his authority, he had much power over people in his jurisdiction. He could have done good. He could have helped people. Yet, in his short debut in the Gospels, he made a whole bunch of wrong decisions. We make mistakes in our lives. Can we take just a moment and seek to apply this well? Let me just say it this way. Don't be a jerk like Pilate. Avoid some things. I've got four of them. Let me hit you with these real quick. If you're looking for a practical application step, you might even want to write these down. Avoid this. First of all, avoid giving in to, here's a big word, relativism. What is relativism? 
One sign that we're living like Pontius Pilate is that we practice relativism. This is what teaches that everything is, well, relative. Up to you, up to you, up to me. With this type of belief, there's, there's no objective truth. What may, may be true for you is not true for me. This is a common belief today, I might add, including the coexistence movement, movement that tries to teach that all faiths are created equally. You can believe what you believe and I'll believe what I believe and we'll just get along. It doesn't work like that. We see relativism in Pontius Pilate's life with his statement, what is truth? Let's look at that. I'm in verse 38 of John chapter 18. He asks, what is truth? And with this, he went out again to where the Jews were gathered and said, I find no basis for a charge against them. Well, what, what, what is truth? He makes that statement immediately following Jesus' statement. Check this out. Just a verse before this. Pilate says, you're a king then. Jesus answered, you say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born, he's getting ready to drop a truth bomb here on Pilate. The reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Absolute truth. Not relativism. Here's your truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. He's God in the flesh. Again, Pilate had the creator God of the universe right in front of him. We can tell from Pilate's response he doesn't see any objective truth. Rather than listening to Jesus' words, he's practicing relativism by asking, well, what, what, what's truth? We need to make sure that we're not practicing relativism like Pilate does. We have to understand that there is truth. Why? Because God says this is true. Do we live with that absolute truth in our lives? Jesus spoke it, we listen to it, and then we choose to follow it. Not the crowd. We follow his still, small voice. Why? Because he's speaking truth. Here's another thing to avoid. Don't be a jerk like Pilate. Avoid giving in to relativism. How about this? Avoid giving in to others, period. Pilate was going to set Jesus free because he found no basis for the charges being brought against Jesus. Even though Pilate was going to release him, he gave in to the pressure of the crowd. Let's look at this, Matthew chapter 27, verse 20. But the chief priests and the elders persuaded the crowd to ask for Barabbas. Which of the two do you want me to release to you? They say, Barabbas. And then Mark chapter 15, verse 15, this is a sad verse. Wanting to satisfy the crowd, Pilate released Barabbas to them. Not just that, but he had him flogged and then handed over to be crucified. Following the crowd, giving in to others. Where does this motivation come from? In my opinion, this comes from a poor identity of self. I had this experience last week, a couple weeks ago, actually. Our family was on a short, several-day vacation. We zipped up to Detroit, Michigan. It seems like every time I've told this story to somebody in the lobby of our church or somebody had asked, where'd you go? Well, we went to Detroit. And the common response to that is, why? <laughs> 
we don't have to go back. I remember when I was a kid, we went and visited Detroit. I wanted to, some of my kids to experience the same thing. One of my boys is a giant Ford fan. You might know something about Detroit. Dearborn, Michigan, there's all kinds of Ford stuff. We did all of the Henry Ford stuff. There's a museum, Deerfield Village, uh, that's not what it's called, Greenfield Village. It's kind of a cool living history kind of a space. The museum was off the hook. But for my money, the favorite thing that I thought we got to do was we got to tour what the factory building that he built, they call the Rouge. Huge complex. The Model A Fords were built there. A whole bunch of World War II war effort stuff happened in that space. Today, they build the Ford F-150s. This is a picture of that factory. We were kind of up looking at it. They wouldn't let us take pictures inside the factory space, but we got to walk around the perimeter of that assembly line, the floor of the factory, and watch them assembling all these trucks. We're getting to the end of this tour, kind of a self-guided tour at that point. We're asking good questions. We're watching. It's really fascinating. I don't think I've ever been in an assembly line space like that before. And toward the end of it, it dawned on me, hey, I have a Ford F-150. I've driven it for a whole bunch of years now. I bought it new to me. It was a used vehicle. I happen to know it's got a born-on date of 2012. I know this because I have to tell every time I take it to the mechanic, they ask year, make, and model. Well, 2012. I had no idea where it was made, and I started asking people toward the end of that tour, hey, my truck. I've got all these memories. This is a significant thing. I, I hang out with my friends in my truck. I've got all kinds of adventures attached to that vehicle. My family and significant conversations have happened in that space. Did it come from here? Well, it very well might have. There's two factories that build the Ford F-150s. I got home. I took the VIN number. I'll cut to the chase. I did a little research and discovered, yes, my truck was put together on that assembly line. It's kind of cool to think about. All of the significant moments that have happened in that truck, and now I see a little bit of its origin story. Could I tell you your origin story? You're born on date. You're a child of God. He created you. Your identity is not just in who you are, but in whose you are. If you've asked Jesus to be Lord of your life, oh, there is significant value and worth in that. That's where you're from. That's whose you are. Why are you following the crowd? Why are you giving in to others when you should be listening to his still, small voice? Number three, don't be a jerk like Pilate. Avoid giving in to relativism. Avoid giving in to others. How about this? Avoid, avoid ignoring your own conscience. God put that in you for a reason. Your convictions are there for a reason. Luke chapter 23, verse 22, I find in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I'm going to release him. This is his conviction but he ignored it. And when we talk about Pontius Pilate today, we don't high, hold him in high esteem. Don't be like Pilate. Don't give in to ignoring your convictions. How about this one? You could also ignore this. Number four, you could ignore the truth. What's the truth? 
Well, Jesus spoke the truth. We can see this in John chapter 14, verse 6. He's very clear. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. I am the gate which you have to enter through to get to your eternal destination. Don't ignore the truth. Pilate was a jerk because he followed and he ignored. He was deaf and he was blind. He lost touch before finally hitting the wall. I told you that would be the outline today, so let's land the plane here. He did, in fact, finally hit the wall. He hit it in a big way. According to Christian tradition, by the way, this does not come out of the Scriptures. This is extra-biblical. But we have it on fairly good authority from some early Christian uh, history writers that he did finally reach a limit. We see this in the story. There's a, 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 a sign that's nailed to Jesus' cross, and it's written in Latin, in Aramaic, and in Greek. Pilate had this sign put on Jesus' cross, and it was, quote, read by many Jews. And he said, it said simply, King of the Jews. Now, the early Christian, or the, the Jewish leaders wanted that taken down because he's not the king of the Jews. They wanted a political leader. They wanted Jesus crucified. Did he change it? No. It's recorded in your Bible. It says, what I have written, I have written. Christian historians add to that that later on he's recalled, he's brought back to Rome. He's kind of in trouble for some things that he's done in Palestine. The early church historian Eusebius, he writes in the early 4th century, and he claims that, quote, tradition relates that Pilate committed suicide after he was recalled to Rome due to the disgrace that he was in. And he even hints at the fact that this might be because of the way be because of the way he treated Jesus and the way that others thought of him after that moment. Could I encourage you? When you have Jesus right in front of you, that would be a good time to repent with proximity. He has Jesus right there. There's some Latin in that word, proximo, proximus proximity. He's right here. Could I encourage you today? Jesus is also today right here. Don't be like Pilate. Imitate Jesus. Pilate was passive. Reject passivity. Did you catch it in the story earlier? There's this moment, Pilate washes his hands, and he says, well, his blood, this innocent man's blood is going to be on you. And the people answered very clearly, his blood, well, it is on us, and it's on our children. They meant that figuratively. Oh, in that moment, they meant that quite literally. He's getting ready to bleed and die, and they're saying, let that be on us. When you came in today, you might have noticed that those communion elements on the seat. Would you grab those and pull them out right now? Can I just point out to you the poetic nature of these words? His blood, let it be on us. 
And let it be on our children. The, the, the rest of the New Testament, the writers go into some detail describing the elements that you're holding in your hands right there. Jesus speaks of this. Actually, as he is rejecting passivity, have you ever read the story of the Garden of Gethsemane? He literally sweats drops of blood. The text talks about him setting his eyes toward Jerusalem. He says, Father, if you would take this away from me, please, please, please do, but I'm going to follow you. I'm paraphrasing. And he walks into Jerusalem, and he dies on a cruel Roman cross, rejects passivity, and goes straight toward that. Why? Well, for you, for me. And praise God that his blood is on our hands. Praise God that even though we sin, we reject him, we do awful things in the face of Jesus. Praise God. His blood covers over a multitude of our sins. If you're new to Venture, we do this moment every week, and it's a moment simply to examine our hearts, examine our minds, think about this past week. Are there some sins that we need to repent of? Could I remind you of what I just said? Repent with proximity. You've got Jesus right here with you. What do you need to confess? What do you need to let go of? What do you need to lean into? Do that with strength. Reject passivity. Boldly speak the truth to him right now. He is ready and willing to listen. When you're ready to take communion, you go ahead and lean into that. I'm going to give you some time to do just that. Right now, I'm going to kick us off with this start. I'm going to pray. Would you bow your heads with me? Close your eyes.